0: Hey everyone, thanks for joining us. If you have not yet registered for the Helpful Marriage Conference, you need to register right away. The conference will be in Indianapolis on March 4th and 5th, but early bird registration will end on January 31st. Not only will the cost of registration increase, but the hotels we've reserved and which are listed on helpfulmarriage.com will also increase in price in February. And who wants to pay more when you can pay less, right? So go to HelpfulMarriage.com and register today. Today's episode is the second half of the conversation we began last week, and it is our last installment of our current series on teenagers. Today we talk about practical issues, and that includes how to help your sons and daughters launch into adulthood after high school. It's not surprising that we discuss education and the life of the mind, but we end with a discussion about how to pass humility and faith on to your children. My guests for today's episode are Max Carell and Tim Bailey. My name is Lucas Weeks, and this is the Out of Our Minds Podcast. I have a 12 year old daughter who has four brothers coming up right behind her. So let's get practical here in terms of the nuts and bolts of raising teenagers. What advice would you give me regarding the difference between raising teenage sons versus raising teenage daughters?
1: One thing I would say is the boys should hang with the men and the girls should hang with the women. Mm. And that if you have ability to have men, teach your sons, have men be teaching your sons when they're in high school. Hmm. Have men teach them as much as possible and have them hang out with men. I think one thing uh, that happens today, well, I see one thing happening today with young men and young women is that they have this kind of interaction in college years where uh, they're, they're just fluid and mm-hmm, uh, mm-hmm. the sexes are just fluid. And I often will say to young men, hey, you need to hang out with men and not be hanging out with women all the time. And I need to, and I say to the women, Hey, you should actually be communicating with the women and not communicating with the men as if you're one of the guys. Yeah. Because this, this ambiguity, I mean, you're creating something that is, that is on a definite uh, stall because, you know, I look at them and I say, you know how you're texting this, this young man or this young woman all the time you know how you guys are interacting and doing all this texting but you don't have your you know your relationship is platonic and you know Mm -hmm. and you're not Mm going to have any and and you know they're going to they're going to end up getting married i said are you going to keep texting them are you going to be buddies and buddies after they get married is that how it's going to work out (laughs) it's just it's inevitable that's not a reality and i'm not saying there should be no interaction and i'm not saying there should be no talking between young men and young women that's stupid that's not what i'm saying what i am saying is that the intimacies of relationship and friendship ought to be more governed by the men being with the men and the women being with the women so that they are affirming one another in their separate uh, roles as men and women
0: so if you have a son who you notice is hanging out with the girls (laughs) it is not inappropriate it is very much appropriate for you to tell him son stop it go hang out with the the guys and and you know this is definitely something i've observed as well Where a Christian, if you're a Christian man, you will have a Christian reserve around other, uh, around women, around women. There would just be a kind of reserve, and it's not to say that you're not going to be on friendly terms, but you're just not going to be able to have the same kind of relationship as you have with other men, or the same kind of freedom. You're just not, and you're going to know that as a Christian man because you're going to know your own temptations, your own sins. Your own proclivities, and but but this this whole idea is completely attacked. Amy Bird's book, why can't we be friends? Right, that the title of the book is, why can't we be friends? Avoidance is not purity, right? And of course, she's trashing this idea exactly. Of, she's trashing the idea of what Tim is, or Max is trying to communicate. She's just saying he's a Neanderthal and that he doesn't understand that men and women can well just when be you ask
2: about the nuts and bolts of what we teach i immediately thought that one of the things that you absolutely have to teach is you have to teach your daughters to be modest in their clothing mm. you just have to do it mm-hmm. and the reason you have to do it is even though their mother's been married to you for many years and knows how perverse your lust can be
0: <laughs> oh man i'm laughing because oh man Women have she still no doesn't idea. Have a clue. They have no she has idea no clue
2: <laughs> about what men are. They have no. And it idea. is your job to teach your daughters yep. something of what men are, and your wife will never approve of it. I can't tell you how many fights I had with Mary Lee because I, you know, I won't name the daughter, but she was always showing up with hip hugger pants and then t-shirts which didn't expose her bosom but always were exposing the dimples in the middle of her back when she leaned over i fought her over that again and again and again and again and my wife just wished like anything that i would you know chill out give it up and shut up and let her be a girl you know mm. and 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 not focus on her being a woman Well, you know, okay, fine. I remember, (laughs) I can remember your wife and you sitting on the couch and having to instruct your wife before she was your wife about what she was and wasn't to do when she was in close proximity to her her. or to you. (laughs) Not (laughs) to her, to you. You know, in other words, nuts and bolts are flesh showing. Mm -hmm. And You know, I tell mothers and fathers that the father is the one that has to open his daughter's eyes up to the volatility of male lust. Mm -hmm. And there's a reason why cultures have always taught women to be modest in uncovering their flesh. All cultures, everywhere, always have done this. Mm -hmm. And what? This is another place where we can have it both ways, you know? We can be godly, and we can show lots of flesh, and we can be pure. Isn't this nice? Yeah, yeah. (laughs) You know? And I mean, come on, for heaven's sakes, is the church not full enough of adultery and fornication? Mm -hmm. And so, listen, you can't stop. start with adultery. Mm -hmm. You have to start with fornication. And today you can't just be concerned about boys and girls with each other. You have to be concerned about girls with each other and boys with each other. Mm -hmm. You have to be concerned about your own children with each other in your home. Mm -hmm. You have to guard the sexual purity of your children. It belongs to you as a father to take responsibility for that. And, hey, here's an idea. You know, flesh is, you know, we we had a number of um teenagers at various times living with us because they, they, you know, that basically their parents said, we give up. Would you take them for a while? Okay. Mm-hmm. And some of them were girls. And so what? I'm going to act as if I'm such a godly man and a pastor and a father and and I have it so much together that I can look at flesh and it won't bother me at all. And I, listen, I want to say to the, those of you who are listening, you have to protect the modesty of your home. Yeah, And it's more important that you do it with your girls and your boys, because guess what? Girls aren't as volatile hormonally and sexually as boys are. He is the initiator. In other words, yes, he is more volatile. Come on. Do we really have to say it? This this bluntly on this podcast for <laughs> you to wake up and smell the roses and begin to collect them in such a way that they stay pretty and smelling good. Mm. <laughs> and those roses are your daughters at the springtime of life. Mm-hmm.
0: So acknowledging those sexual differences and protecting and, and, t- and teaching and demanding modesty on the part of your daughters is, is a good. Well, yeah, well. But
2: demanding. I mean,
0: <laughs> <laughs> well, so another that's, that's, a turn of, that's a wrong word.
2: Well, but it, I mean, it is the right word. But, you know, trust me with much trembling and
0: fear (laughs) and and pleading
2: and wheedling and cajoling and trying to keep the mother from giving you nasty looks. And, and I mean, it is an incredibly difficult work.
1: I think we should remember too, that the perversity and the license of our time is such that it's way more than what you realize, way more than what you think. It's gone way beyond what you would think that your children are actually seeing, hearing, understanding. It is, it is something where the, the vigilance that needs to be exercised is you need to realize you need to make sure your head's not in the sand and that you're not uh, just covering your ears to what's happening with your children. They are Mm -hmm. constantly bombarded with this stuff. And I was thinking earlier when we were talking about, Uh, the way that the familiarity that young men and young women have today. I know too that young couples have this incredible familiarity and they're talking about things they ought not to be talking about Mm. together. And it's, and it's something that they learned as teenagers. If they watch a television program, you watch a television or a movie or something like that. And freely in the movie exchange, a young woman is talking about being on her period and she's saying it to the whole high school class and it's all funny and fun and happy day. And, and the fact that the matter is that itself is perverted, perverted reality. And so they grow up and not only are they just, uh, immersed in this, this culture of openness that is, uh, Uh, destructive, this immodesty that's, that's destructive to them, but they go on into marriage and they carry it into marriage. And I've told young couples, we tell young couples when we're doing premarital counseling, you don't talk about the intimacies of your life with other couples. You don't talk about your bed with other couples. You don't talk about these kinds of subjects. And we say it because they're telling us they're already Mm. talking about it. They already are hearing about it and it's wicked it's just wicked, and the 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 perversion of it is wicked, mm. and it's not because sex is dirty. It's it, but this is dirty. Yeah, it's because <laughs> sex is beautiful. Sex is beautiful, but this and it is takes dirty. Hard and hard to cultivate a beautiful. In this culture, especially because it's so perverted, it's, it's gone so far in its perversion. You know, Margaret Mead
2: was asked to respond to the Kinsey Report. So Bloomington, where we live, is the site of Alfred Kinsey, a, a, a perverted zoologist who came out with a study in the 50s that really began the sexual revolution in many, many ways. And it just, in a very uh, sort of mechanical way, he just tallied up uh, private interviews with people, what they did sexually. And then he published it for Mail and for female and margaret mead was by no stretch of the imagination a christian godly she was asked by the american anthropological association in new york city back in the 50s to maybe even 48 or 49 it might have been but she was asked to give a response to the kinsey report and it's it is everything that christians have forgotten today okay 70 years Mm. later, yeah And what she says is, she says the Kinsey Report is the most puritanical document on sex you could imagine. Hmm. She says because it has removed the uh, physical intimacy from love, that it has made sex into copulation. And she said, and it tells everything that everybody does in copulating. And she says what it has done is taken sex from being sacramental to excremental well you you have to have an outlet she says and so you you find an outlet she says an awful lot of our society and getting along with each other is dependent upon us not knowing what other people do in the privacy of their bedrooms hmm. and she said but now everybody knows anything and she says this kinsey document is going to end up causing our culture to not remember Why people have sex with men and women instead of goats and sheep. And of course, that's true. And today, you think about Christians talking about their intimacy, as as Pastor Carell has said. You think about talking about your period. You think about these things, and you think we are, the church is, shameless. It does not fear God. And it's shameless. Hmm. It's very interesting. I was reading Ezra this morning. And it's fascinating that when he talks about them marrying pagan women and having children with pagan women, a theme in it, I think the word occurs three times, is he confesses to God and they confess to each other the shame of what they have done using the word. And, you know, seeing a word like that used in Scripture in a positive way, you know, that you realize your shame, and then you confess it publicly to each other, and then you confess it to God, and then you correct it. That's what we need in the church. We need to realize that we actually feel a superiority complex about the fact that we are shameless, Mm. that we are incapable of understanding shame. And this this is something that Margaret Mead saw. Why can't we as
0: Christians see this? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's essential. I want to bring up this transition at the end of the teenage years into adulthood. If we have embraced as parents and delighted in the, the differences between men and women and led our family in this as, as fathers, then it is likely that our daughters are going to be getting married younger. I mean, I... <laughs> As you know, Tim, I married my wife uh, when she was just 19. But this transition, I think, is a really vexing question for a lot of Christian parents who have raised their daughters and their sons as sons and daughters. But then they hit this next stage of life where typically everyone's, I mean, or, you know, their cohorts, a lot of them are going to be going to college. A lot of the women are going to be going to college. It's just complicated. On the one hand for the boys, I think something very typical in our age is kind of, they hit that stage and there's a failure to thrive. There's no launch. The boy just somehow isn't able to launch into that next stage. And for the girls, it's difficult because, well, I'm not married yet. Maybe I don't have prospects. I'm not really sure what I'm supposed to do in this next these next few years. So let's start with the boys, first of all. What would you say to a parent of a teenage son who's concerned about he's going to have this failure to thrive and failure to launch scenario? He's concerned about that in his son.
2: Well, yesterday... Several of us were called in to help with a church situation that is very, very, very awful. And in the process of talking with the pastor, pastor called a couple of us and asked for counsel. In the pa- process of talking to the pastor, I found out that uh, the parents have their adult sons living with them in the home. And I know this sounds crazy, but I want to say, if you want to launch your sons, launch them, (laughs) do not try to ameliorate the horrors of seeing a boy become a man by providing them laundry, a bed, board, Mm. a hanging place, game, you know, video gaming devices, a television, internet. If you want to launch a boy, send him out of your home so that he has to work like a dog and learn to be humble with his bosses, or he won't have a place to live. Don't lower the ante on a man who will soon have a wife and children up it. Why don't you love that future mother of your grandchildren Hmm. by causing your son and you know lucas that we've done this and i have to admit to you that it was at least as much my wife's firmness that caused our youngest taylor to have to leave the home as soon as he turned 18 as it was me Hmm. but it was wonderful and yes he did fail Hmm. but that's my first response, David. I don't know what you think about Well,
1: that. I was going to say that the, the way that you teach your, your son earlier on responsibility and to work, mm. because I think once that's set in them, they get to a certain age and they have ambition. I mean, it's, it's such a huge part of the whole game is if your son actually gets to 18 and has ambition, guess what? He's not going to want you to hold him back. <laughs> he's not going to be excited about that at all. He wants to get to that age, and he wants to say, well, I don't care about you having a good job for me. I'm going to go find my own job. I remember I knew men in the church, and when Ben got to that age, I thought, well, you know, I'll, I'll, I'll run some interference, and I will see if I can't help him to find a job. Well, the next thing I knew, he had a job, and it wasn't anybody that I knew. Huh. And he just went out, and he got this job. And he had his own ambition. I don't know if other men in the church may have talked to him and said, hey, you should do that. But I didn't even get the opportunity to be helpful (laughs) with that. Do you understand? Because And and I thought about that and how that really did set a direction for him. He set it for himself. Mm -hmm. Now, not every young man is gonna do that. And some of them are gonna need a shove and a kick and whatever. But the fact of the matter is, if if we're teaching them to love to work, Mm -hmm. They're just going to go on. I'm thinking about a young man in our church who's had a lawn business all through high school. And if you watched him with his lawn business, he has worked very, very hard. And his parents have supported him in having this lawn business. And now he's off in college. I don't have a concern for him. I think he's going to do well mm-hmm. because he has worked hard through high school. He worked hard and he has had ambition to do something and he has a direction. I think if you talk to him, he'd say, yep, I know. This is what I want to do. I want to do this. A landscape architect. Yeah, I want to be a landscape architect. Well, that's great. I celebrate that. Now, again, it's not going to be every young man who does that, but if you want to mm-hmm. help them in the process, Teach them to work, mm. teach them to love working, teach them to have ambition to do something, to wanna to create something, to build something. And that will be a huge, huge help in their in their coming to that point in their lives. Mm. And one other thing, don't cultivate
2: a fatalistic attitude in your son. One of the things that as Christians we realize is the growing persecution. You know, it's hard to express anything about uh. biblical sexuality anywhere in social media or on the job site or anywhere without running the risk of getting fired, of becoming persona non grata, of not getting promotions, of getting passed over in the military. Yeah. And so there is a lot of opposition to the most fundamental aspect of Christian faith, which is sexuality today. Yeah. And it would be natural for us as fathers to feel fearful ourselves to be defeatist and to set up a business where we can employ our sons and that way they get to avoid and and to choose a business which is independent of political correctness and censorship yeah all right. Which tends to be the more manual jobs where the people groups that work them tend to be gun owners, um, conservative, anyway. belligerent, angry, mm. hunting, fishing. Now, I, I love a lot of those things. I'm not speaking against them. But honestly, is that how Augustine was raised? You know, and you say, well, Augustine spent many years in Manichaeism and, and, and you know, just being, you know, a scholar and, and being prepped for leadership and stuff. And I say, well, yeah, so did Daniel. So did Paul. Are we really going to denigrate studies and the life of the mind? Honestly, as Christians, we're the people of the word. In the beginning, it was the word. And we're going to be defeatist and tell our sons that they shouldn't go to college and that they shouldn't study and tell our daughters that they should just stay in the home until her knight in shining armor comes along. <laughs> you know, it's like, no, that's not Christian faith. Christian faith is not going into the ghetto and being Amish. Mm-hmm. It's not agrarianism. Nope, 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 nope. Christian faith has every square inch of this universe under the Lordship of Jesus Christ. Mm. And we do not give in to the fear and the gathering clouds. We recognize them. We, we can describe them. We can rebuke Christians for giving in to them. We can name the pressures that muddy sexuality, but our sons and our daughters need to themselves live by faith mm. and take up their cross, you know, I had a guy, <laughs> this is a funny story. I had a guy contact me about 15 to 20 years ago. And, you know, he read the blog and he was supportive and everything. And as it happened, I think he worked at the Skunk Works out in, you know, out in California, you know, the high tech uh, uh, super secret stuff. He was an engineer. I I almost want to say he was like a nuclear aeronautical. And, and so he was at the center of uh you know the defense industry military industrial complex of the skunk works out in california and he was single so he was pulling down a load of money and he was conservative biblically he was reformed and he writes me this long email saying i don't know what to do well what was the problem well the problem was that he would get to know Women on some of these online forums who were also reformed and wanted to have children and wanted to be wives. All right. And he would say, and so, you know, we got interested in each other. And then the time came where I would go and visit her. Mm. And he said, again and again, when I go to visit her, she's living at home. And it's made very clear to me, often by the mother, not even the father, that if I'm going to be able to marry their daughter. I'm going to have to move there. Oh, wow. And I'm going to have to become a part of their uh, household, their commune, their, their ghetto, their Amishness. And he says, I've begun to look at myself in the reformed dating world as uh, the, the parents of these women. Just look at me as a sperm donor.
0: <laughs> wow.
2: To, to their compound. <laughs> Those were the words he used. No, 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 no. That is not the Christian life. Mm. The Christian life does not try to coddle either its daughters or its sons. My wife is a huge believer in women moving in with other women. They can do it in the same town we live in as their parents, but learning how to get along, learning mm. how to keep house, learning how to cook, learning how to hold down a job, learning how to relate to people other than their parents, learning the mistakes of their parents by all of a sudden getting cross-pollinated by other families and other singles. Mm -hmm. So I don't want us to communicate to our children, a fatalistic attitude that forswears education. Okay. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Education is Christian. Education is not aspirational. Education is discipleship. We read, we think, we write, we argue because we are people of the book and people of the word. And because we know that that is what God uses. To convert others. That is our confession of faith. Our confession of faith is not experiential and emotive, you know. Well, I was in, you know, I was in a parachurch group and and I just had a lot of friends who were Christians. I started going to the group and, and pretty soon I got baptized and, you know, no, 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 no. no. I believe in God, the Father Almighty, maker of heaven and earth. Oh, Father Almighty. Well, what does it mean that God's a Father? Father Almighty, what does it mean? He's mighty. No, that's what Christian faith is. It always is doctrine. That's why in Acts 2, it says they were devoted to the teaching of the apostles, the breaking of bread, fellowship, and prayer. And Calvin says the teaching of the apostles is named first because doctrine always comes first. Mm. And so that's the kind of launching our children need. The launching of the Christian mind. The, the Christian women God. as well as the men. Absolutely. Right. Those women, while the men, you know,
0: are nail coding the souls
2: onto the last of right. the shoes their whole life, right. those women are going to be introducing our grandchildren to the universe. Right. Right. I mean, look at Mary's Magnificat. <laughs> Was she ignorant? Did she not know scripture? Did she mm. not know the character of God? Did she not celebrate God lifting up the humble? and making them glorious, and Mm. him trouncing the proud and reducing them to nothing. Now, that's sophisticated doctrine.
0: Mm. (laughs) Yeah, that's good. Um, Well, you've touched on it a little bit, but let's talk about that space for women. How is it different, or what do you think about that? A lot of times, a young man at the end of teenage years is going to go get a job, maybe a vocation that he wants to be in for a while, or maybe go to college where he's going to pursue another kind of vocation. But he's thinking long-term. What would you say to parents whose daughters are about to enter into that stage? I was going to say, it's been a helpful thing for me
1: to think about and to help young women by thinking about what they ought to be in the church. Mm. Because in many ways, they can you can look at what the goal of is to the church of a, a woman who whether she's married or not married will become a, a mother in Israel and you can you can kind of work back from that as your goal to what she will do her spiritual life her her uh, growth in Christ all of those things just as is true for a man ought to be at the at the front and center of her of her focus mm. And her usefulness to the church ought to be there. If you if you look at the New Testament and and uh, what women were in the church in the New Testament, even how uh, widows were uh, celebrated in the New Testament, even how Anna was celebrated at the birth of Christ, what are they noted for? Well, they're noted for being mothers in Israel, being mothers in the church, for their care for the saints, mm-hmm. right? And so if you think about a young woman, she could either orient herself to say, well, I'm going to be a career and let somebody else be the mother in Israel, or I'm going to be a mother in Israel. And if if I have a career, if I have work I have to do, it's going to serve me being a mother in Israel. And it's not significantly different for a man, although he should be a father in Israel, whether he's married or not married. Right, And if he is married and has children, he should be responsible for providing for his family. And he should be a father to his family and a father in Israel. But it it helps me to think about it that way and work backwards. And I can look at young women and say, look, make this your goal to be a mother in Israel. You may get married and have children, and that'd be great. I'd be glad if that happens for you. But the fact is you might not get married and you might not have children but you'll still be a mother in Israel. If you're serving God and you're following Jesus Christ and you're giving yourself to the works of the church, Mm -hmm. you'll still be a mother in Israel. And that will help you to dictate the choices that you make and the moves that you make as you go through your life. Yes, and mother in Israel,
2: we were up here over Christmas, we were talking, and of course, having all these grandchildren, you're very much aware that you never, as a parent, as a father and mother, you never get far from the issue of education. I think every every year we come up here, that's what we talk about, right, Lucas? <laughs> we talk about I education. Think you're probably
0: right, actually, yeah.
2: It's a huge issue. Yeah. And I said to to Heather, our oldest, who is helping to run a Christian school at our church right now, I said to her that I really do believe that we have not done a good job in acknowledging that some children are not gifted to be a mother in Israel who knows doctrine and leadership the way other children are. Okay. Some men, and I was specifically focusing on men because we had given a copy of the two volume set of Edwards works to both of our oldest grandsons And one of them was reading, and he says, oh, my, he went to Yale when he was 13. Well, I needed to unpack that for him. But one of the things I said to him, you know, he was incredibly intimidated by that. And I said, listen, if you had been raised the way Jonathan Edwards was raised, you would be entirely capable of going to Yale at 13. What they did was they trained and educated their very young children for that matriculation at that age and therefore they were ready. Now, the reason I bring this up is that we have to begin to recognize that God has gifted some children in ways he hasn't gifted others. Forget this Horatio Alger's raise yourself up by your own bootstraps and be all you can be. Some children don't have the intellectual capacity and training to be leaders. Some girls are never going to grow up and be Aquila and Priscilla who instruct Apollos together. Those women and men who are gifted intellectually and who are peculiarly lovers of the life of the mind, and you can see it in children, even in a family, some are, some aren't, they need to have special preparation for their gifts to be used as mothers in Israel and fathers in Israel. And so one of the things I think we need to do is be realists as parents, noticing what the gifting of our children is, and those who will have the ability to instruct in doctrine, as Priscilla did Apollos with her husband, Aquila. And Calvin comments on this, the humility of Apollos in allowing a woman to instruct him. Okay, we need to give them the training. One of the things that's bothered my my wife and myself in the last 10 to 15 years in our church is there's almost been an expectation that women won't go to college. Mm. Uh, I think that's wrong. I I don't think that every woman should go to college. I don't think every man should go to college. But there should be a steady stream of women and men who the church recognizes their gifting and is jealous and zealous for those children to be trained in such a way that they have the ability to instruct and to teach. After all, older women are supposed to teach younger women. That's what it means to be a mother in Israel. And we should not simply throw in the towel about having women be educated. It's just not right. It's not right to the children they'll have. It's not right to the church. We need to be raising up older women who will teach younger women. So that's, um, you know, I know that people are going to think, well, you can't have it both ways, Tim. You're the one that said that, you know, if you're going to value children and marriage, don't you think that this is going to mean that they're not going to go to college?
1: And I say, no, I was going to say, I actually did a count, Tim. I don't think you're right. I, I think you're right in principle about what you're saying, but I don't think you're right about our church. The numbers don't stack up that way. We actually have fewer men going to college than women, and most of our young women have gone to higher education of some sort in the last 10 years. I think maybe they haven't gone, as many of them have gone away to college. That might be true, but we have more women, I think, in the church. We actually did a, a somebody commented on this a while back, so we actually did a little not a poll, but we looked at the number of the, you know, we looked at this person and that person and we found out is our women were going to school more than our men, which is very much like the national average. But what you're saying well, in principle is absolutely well, true.
2: I, I hate to differ with you, but the fact is I didn't say it in comparison to men. No, I know you what didn't. I'm just was, saying that we have, have very few women. That women are not going to college and I didn't get started on men. But I'm just as upset about that. But I will say that the women that do go to college, principally those women do not go to college to develop the life of their mind, but rather to train themselves for jobs.
1: Mm. I agree. Absolutely true. I think you're right about that, yeah.
2: So, yeah, David, I do agree that it's even worse with the men, and I don't
1: even know what to say about that. I just want to shoot myself. Well, part of the problem is that we have to lead the colleges because if you're going to develop the life of the mind, what college is developing mm. the life of the mind? Yeah. I mean, well, I mean, we have burp, 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 well, burp, but, burp. Burp, but <laughs> I don't know what the rips
2: are about. But you <laughs> well, know. I, I have much more confidence in the life of the mind being developed at Indiana University, at Yale, and UW Madison than I do at Calvin, at Wheaton. At Westmont, at uh, what's that school, Cedarville? Honestly, at Covenant? (laughs) Oh, my goodness. You know, I've grown up around higher education. Let me tell you, there's no place more stultifying to the life of the mind than these small liberal arts Christian schools that their entire curriculum is political correctness. Mm Mm-hmm. And they have Bible departments. I've had so many leaders at Wheaton, the board members, indirectly the presidents, uh, people who know the top people at Wheaton tell me that the worst department in terms of liberalism for decades has been the Bible department at Wheaton.
1: I really think that's so. you've got to be careful
2: just because we say, you know. Have your d- children prepare to be mothers and fathers in Israel. You're going to say, "Oh yeah, let's send them to wean. let's send them to Yeah." Moody. Let's them- <laughs> well,
0: but you're saying then that that's actually something that's common between the the young man and the young woman that you want them to, or you think it's it's oh, good no, for them to aim. Listen, you can at the either life send your mind. children off to find a good
2: husband or wife of a similar socioeconomic status and a som- similar brand of Christian faith to you, or you can send them off to get an education.
1: <laughs> well, you can, you can either, you can either uh, whet your child's appetite for a life of the mind as they're in your home and then send them mm-hmm. off and they will find the life of the mind. Or you will not whet their appetite and you'll just confirm them in, in all of the political correctness and all of the nonsense and all of the partying that they're going to go off and do so they can have their fun time before they get on with life.
2: Yeah, but look, you look at a lot of the Christian colleges, Max, and what the kids end up doing is the kids end up going into a Christian school and thinking they're being Christians while they give up any notion of biblical sexuality absolutely. aspirations for motherhood for fatherhood for raising a godly seed absolutely and we have a we have maybe 2 to 4 schools i mean lucas you were up here we were discussing sending our kids to st john's
0: yeah right <laughs> because and
2: we want them to read the great literature of western society right and so
0: Oh, man. And even St. John's requires that they read the Old and New Testament. Yeah. My father used to say he spent his life...
2: Before he went to David C. Cook, he spent it with InterVarsity. He was the first staff worker in New England. He had all of New England. He and my mother were the two staff workers. And he, used to, and he went around the country speaking to college students on college campuses, Christian, secular, mostly universities when he was with InterVarsity. And he did the Staley lectures. My dad used to say that the problem with a Christian college is that you don't know who the enemy is. He mm-hmm. says, whereas at a secular school, it's very clear who the enemy is. And I remember when Joseph had to choose between going to Vandy and going to Covenant. You know, he'd been accepted at both of them, but he couldn't make up his mind. So he went out one night with Michael, his younger sister, and they talked and talked. And then the next morning he made his decision. He was going to go to Vandy. And, and I said, really, why? He said, well, because I trust people too much. And at Vandy, I'll be on guard. Yeah, I think
1: I think that actually exposes just the condition of the church today and the condition of Christians today because we really think that we really think that we're on guard and we're not on guard at all. Mm-hmm. And we're not on guard in our homes, we're not on guard in our pulpits, we're not on guard in our discipleship, we're not on guard in our youth groups, we're not on guard with our students and our children and their education. We're just not on guard at all. And so you think about the fact that we should be on guard constantly. I mean, I hope you men are on guard for my
0: sake. We got here because we're talking about education and our kids. And of course, it has everything to do with raising young men and young women. But tie it back to teenagers. What does this mean as we close out today? What does this mean for parents raising teenagers?
2: I don't think you can raise a teenager without cultivating conflict with them. Cultivating conflict with them. Cultivating. Okay. One of the things that distresses me about the Christian families I'm around is how incapable the children of Christian fathers and mothers are of having a disagreement that they care about and being able to sustain a contrary opinion to a friend, to another adult. In other words, being able to argue without it devolving mm-hmm. into what Chesterton said, a quarrel. Yeah. Yeah. Everything's personal. Right. And so I think one of the best ways to prepare your children to be launched is to teach them to hold a contrary position with equanimity without licking their wounds and going and crawling under the sofa like a, a sick cat. Hmm. And I mean that for girls and boys. Look, they're going to get married. Yep, yep, Those yep. girls are going to have arguments.
1: Yep.
2: <laughs> <laughs> and and we need to teach our kids to be able to stand against the unbelievably oppressive political correctness and and godlessness of their day and that starts in their home when the safety of their father and mother at the dinner table yeah cultivate arguments at the dinner table and don't worry if occasionally they get hated that's what happens in arguments but it it makes them mature and able to not think that their entire personhood hangs by the thread of whether or not they're able to win an argument
0: mm And that has everything to do with the life of the mind that we've been talking about,
1: yeah, other things I think about are having gratitude. We want to teach our children to appreciate what God gives them and what they have to be grateful. One of my children lives in a in an apartment and they have five children in an apartment and I was talking to them one day, and I said, You know. Your friends are getting houses, and and I know you're thinking to yourself, "Oh, you know, we're time. It's time for us to get a house because our friends are getting houses." And I said, "It's," I said, "Do you realize how many people in the world would would just <laughs> die to have?" your living arrangements right now that Mm -hmm. would just give anything for their children to live in the situation that you live in right now. But relative deprivation causes this. And so that was a conversation that was just about gratitude, just about contentment, you know, Mm. and you think about contentment and gratitude and you think about, you think about honesty about with our children as they're, uh, not just when we're launching them, but through the rest of their lives, we need to live with honesty about sin, and the and the horrors of sin, and how uh, how wonderful it is that we can confess our sin. You know, I was at a I was at a funeral this recently, and and uh, I was thinking about the the family member and thinking had they ever had the opportunity that my daughter, I was talking to her about it, that had they ever had the opportunity that one of my daughters has had through her entire church life of being in a place where the confession of sin and the being, being able to talk to someone about sin candidly and asking them to help and having a godly woman who would work through some sins with you and go through books with you had this had this relative ever had that opportunity and I just don't think so. Mm. I don't think they was there was ever a time that in all their years in the church that they had an opportunity where they could talk to another person another woman about sin and you think about the about the emptiness the the aloneness, that that is but when we have a church and when we are able to talk with our children and get them to appreciate honesty and truthfulness you know the roman catholics talk about sin but they don't get it either mm. because they just go and talk to the priest about sin and it's not anything it, there isn't anything of uh deliverance of 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 uh, working to sanctification in it. it's just okay go say five Hail Marys and five Our Fathers and, and you go home and it, 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 the goal is empty mm. but to teach our children that they have a Christ who intercedes on their behalf to the Heavenly Father, that they can go and confess their sins, and he is faithful and just, and he will forgive them of their sins and cleanse them from unrighteousness, and that that's a reality that they're fighting, that they're going to fight all through their lives, and that, mm. and that sanctification is going on all their lives until the day they die, and then it's glorification, and we can look for that. And give them that encouragement and have them to have, have that as a context for the fight that they're going to be fighting for years after we're gone, probably. Mm-hmm.
2: And it's very interesting, David, that you personify what you're recommending. You are tender of conscience and you do confess your failures and sins regularly as we work together as pastors. And that has been inspiring to all of us. It's a precious gift that you give to your family and to the church and to us. Our children are not going to need Jesus if they think that they're always right. Mm. And if they have a father who demonstrates an impermeability to criticism and an absence of a guilty conscience and confession that he failed. I recently, with our family up here, I was leading devotions and I knew that one of our teenagers in the family is absolutely resistant to ever admitting his failures and his sins. His father talked to me about it. And so that night in devotions, I led devotions on the fact that the man that never fails and never sins does not know Jesus Christ. Okay. Well, then later that night, it was New Year's Eve, if I remember correctly. We have a fire outside. We're all sitting around the fire. It's about 9, 30, 10 o'clock at night, and a neighbor woman comes over, and she begins to 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 talk at us about how she doesn't like our fire. She doesn't like the sparks going up in the air. And I am just absolutely – I knew it was coming. What direction when are they came, supposed to I go? I
1: didn't – huh? I said, what direction are the sparks supposed to go? <laughs> Up
2: well, and and the, and and the soil and the grass everything was sopping wet <laughs> you know there had been rain it had been wet so anyhow at one point doug my son-in-law sort of took the the lead in the exchange but at one point she said well i i'm thinking about calling the fire department and i said go ahead that was my contribution <laughs> you know and so then later that night i'm thinking oh okay all right okay there's grandpa and there's, it's an older woman neighbor, and he says, go ahead, great model, th- th- Grandpa, great model. <laughs> and so I said to Bailey, who is entering her teenage years and was sitting observing all this, and we got talking about global warming and how people refer to this kind of fire as a mentality today you know that anybody that has a fire outside is obviously voted for donald trump you know and so of course you can imagine what the conversation developed once she left and i just sat there and i thought yeah right yeah yeah you're yeah right good tim real good so i turned to her and i said to her bailey in front of everybody i said bailey i want you to know that i was not kind to that woman and i'm going to go over in the next few days because everybody went home but i stayed up here i'm going to go over and i'm going to apologize to that woman because i was not compassionate i was not kind well of course nobody nobody at the fire knew how to respond to me saying that you know it's like are you saying you believe in global warming (laughs) now grandpa (laughs) you know Now, I I don't tell that story because I'm proud of not being kind to that woman. And I don't tell that story because I'm proud that I went over today and found her. I didn't know which house she was from and went inside and talked to her and said several times, I'm sorry that I did not treat you as I ought to have, okay? But people, this is just absolutely ground zero what Max has been talking about. It doesn't matter what we do with education, with college. It doesn't matter what we do with learning motors or learning sewing. It it almost doesn't matter about modesty and clothing if our children have not learned that their parents and grandparents and that they are without hope in this world unless God forgives sins.
0: Mm-hmm.
2: And, David, I... I want to publicly thank you for the model that you have been to me now for how many years has it been? Nearly 20. Of a man with a tender conscience who glories in the forgiveness of sins. And that means his own. And thank you, dear brother. I count your gift to us as a church and to me personally as one of the most priceless things that God has ever given me. And if you cut that out of this podcast, Lucas, I'm going to shoot you.
1: (laughs) I was thinking about encapsulating what Lucas is asking. I was thinking about if you can think, Christian parent, about the things that worry you about yourself and the things that bother you about yourself and your own struggle toward heaven. Hmm. And if you can just assume that your children have all of those struggles, all of those fears, Mm -hmm. all of those temptations and need Mm. desperately to hear from you here's where I am and this is what God has done and this is and have faith you know my father was dying and I said he said I don't know why God's keeping me around I said well God I said dad I don't know if this was smart to say but I said dad you know you you showed us how to live as a Christian and I need you to show me how to die as a Christian Mm. and I think Recently, we had a funeral in the church, and it struck me that a lot of older people, myself included, are thinking about death now and are thinking about the last the last trip we make. And I'm, I think to myself, I wonder if our children are teenagers. I wonder if they really know the things we struggle with. I wonder if they understand that we really think and identify with the John Donne poem. Mm-hmm. you know of the hymn to god the father i think about that thing all the time mm-hmm. as i think about well w- when thou hast done thou hast not done for i have more and then he, and he says i have a final fear that when i've spun my last thread i'll perish on the shore
0: mm-hmm.
1: will you be there and i don't know that our teenagers realize that we As we get older, our grandchildren is this is now i've I've gone into grandchildren, Lucas, but mm-hmm. I don't know yeah. if they realize that that we that we have these struggles in our lives and that we understand their struggles and that we're willing to talk to them about them
0: I think to many of them it's probably unimaginable that you have those struggles, you know as weird as that sounds to you, but it's just you know you're the you I'm speaking you to Tim and to you, max, but I think cosmically dad you know or grandpa how could grandpa possibly he's the pillar isn't
1: that the Mm -hmm. thing we always laugh about though when Mm. we're counseling with people aren't we always laughing when they have this epiphany that they're like everybody else (laughs) i mean isn't (laughs) that what we just we just think about it we think well, of course you're like everybody else. What's, it's like when you have a couple's uh, Sunday school class and you're talking about marriage and there's, you know, 15 couples in there and somebody says something and then there's laughter through the whole mm-hmm. crowd and then they're all looking at each other and mm-hmm. saying, well, you're laughing just like we're laughing. Yes, Why are yes. you doing that? Well, that's because we all have the same struggles, yeah. the same sins, the same realities happening.
2: You know, I want to read that poem. John Dunn, Donne, D-O-N-N-E was an anglican pastor and a poet he struggled much in his life with sickness thinking he was going to die death was death be not proud as is, is his poem also but i want to read this that max just made a reference to it's called a hymn to god the father wilt thou forgive that sin where i begun which was my sin though it were done before Wilt thou forgive that sin through which I run, and do run still, though still I do deplore? When thou hast done, thou hast not done, for I have more. Wilt thou forgive that sin which I have won others to sin, and made my sin their door? Wilt thou forgive that sin which I did shun a year or two, but wallowed in a score? When thou hast done, Thou hast not done, for I have more. I have a sin of fear that when I have spun my last thread, I shall perish on the shore. But swear by thyself that at my death, thy sun shall shine as he shines now and heretofore. And having done that, thou hast done, I fear no more. Amen. Amen. We must allow our children to be sinners. We must not focus on the superficial. We must not turn them into moralists. And they will not be sinners if they see their father not being a sinner himself and confessing it and grieving over it.
0: We've enjoyed talking about teenagers these past few weeks, but next week we will begin a conversation about marriage. Unless your marriage is perfect, you'll want to give it a listen. And here's a hint, your marriage is not perfect. My name is Lucas Weeks, and the conversation today was with Tim Bailey and Max Carell. We serve as pastors at Trinity Reformed Church in Bloomington, Indiana. For more great content, please visit warhornmedia.com. To support this podcast, you can donate at patreon.com slash out of our minds. Bye for now.